Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Focus Seedcast. I'm your host, Focus, and today I'm talking with Brian of High Ground Gardens in Colorado about growing seed in high altitudes and extreme weather conditions. We also talk about the current and future state of the cannabis industry. Without further delay, here's Brian. Well, it's good to it's good to finally talk to you. Yeah, how you doing? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. I live a crazy life, but yeah. things are good. That's farming, man, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started doing the seeds. Um, well, uh, I've always been pretty self-reliant and been working towards that, and um, I've always eaten a lot of vegetables, so uh, it didn't take me long to figure out that I could circ- circumnavigate the health food store if I grew my own food. So that was really the thing that started started it all for me, growing my own food, being in touch with that and the quality. And uh, yeah, the cycle of growing food and putting it up and all that. So that and uh, I had to take some time off from gardening from when I was a kid. I think I got burned down on it. Uh, growing up on a farm with my family so cannabis kind of brought me back to all things growing in my late teens so so that kind of brought me back and then I just started always needing to be in a situation where I could grow food and medicine so that became a prerequisite for any living situation and if I couldn't support that prerequisite I could easily um, not have a house. So if I couldn't have a house and grow food and medicine, then uh, I could go without a house. That, that started pretty quick for me. So so when did you actually start doing uh, high ground gardens? Uh, we're in our fifth year of marketing. Okay. And yeah, and I've, I've been working with the the seed lines that support the business right now. I've been working with probably 12 to 15 years a little range over some of the different stuff but i'm i've got about 50 base varieties that are making up our product line and uh, out of it like a homesteading kind of like a homesteading gardener type thing and then yeah and then with my high altitude um it kind of demanded that i produce my own seed I, i found that really quick you know it's just my my grow season and my environment so extreme that I just the utility of what is what a, a do in one season as far as adapting to a region that became really apparent with the extremities so I just started doing that you know another thing too is like back in the in the day back in the 90s like if you wanted to do like um really uh if if you wanted to do really functional like outdoor gorilla cannabis work at high altitude, you had to either know someone really well who would be willing to give you their work or you had to create that work yourself. So that so that's how it all kind of started was acclimating vegetables and cannabis and just everything that I needed to the high altitude environment. Yeah, I was gonna say you're not that, gonna grab some elite cuts and just throw them outside and <laughs> Yeah, you can, you can do that, but 
but in a really like uh, in a true gorilla setting it's a whole different game it's it's like more like real farming you're really working with uh, all the forces and elements and working and understanding them as best you can or you don't you don't have a functional situation so just figuring out that over the years and you know it it all um kind of supported the homestead lifestyle i had you know i had a few nice places where i just focused really on staying away from town really was the main ideal but um yeah. So tell tell me more about your growing conditions. So how hard how high are you up? What's your kind of like you know hardiness zone, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like you know zone four generally. It ranges in in the area, but uh, the valley that I live in now is it's the San Luis Valley. It's as big as the state of Connecticut. I've been told it's like. That's uh, big as it's big as where I live. So it's big. It's like two hundred fifty square miles or something, but there's a lot of. Um, range in the environment in the valley the valley generally is at seven to eight thousand feet you know it's like maybe 80 miles long and the the lower end sits a little lower and all the cold air tends to drain down and out of the mountains it's surrounded by mountains a lot of 14ers and high peaks so all that cold air tends to come down and then drain down the valley and it's not uncommon to see huge differentials daily year round, you know, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 degrees. I mean, we can see 60 degree differentials in the middle of our growing season. That's not unheard of, you know, and we can also get a freeze any, any day of the year. I mean, we've had July and August freezes that were complete done. Just everything was done. Oh, wow. So you're getting like, you know, hundred degree days and then you're getting down to like, you know, 40 at night sometimes. That kind oh, of thing. easy, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The plants have to deal with that, you know, and we can get like a, you know, below 20 degree freeze out. That happens. You know, the old timers say it happens like once every six years generally. I feel like I haven't quite seen that consistency with that saying. I feel like that maybe things are getting a little warmer, but it's hard to say. It just seems like everything's just consistently inconsistent so it's hard to track patterns anymore yeah so what kind of uh grown methods do you use and are you using like you're pretty organic you're using a lot of like structures then high tunnels greenhouses that kind of thing oh yeah all organic i feed my family and my community and that's the basis of all the seed work you know we're growing the seeds to support food production so we're doing flavor testing and you know, obviously like productivity testing and just seeing how things grow. Um, a lot of tea, a lot of um, compost teas. We keep a vermicompost pile. We've been doing that for about 15 years. Really love the worms. They're easy to take care of. They help us with our vegetable waste. Um, we can produce quite a bit of vegetable waste. We, we take a lot of waste for our friends and family as well to just keep it out of the waste stream. And uh, I think this year we probably produced about five tons of compost, but sometimes we can, some years we'll produce up to 20 tons. Um, that's all hand turned and it all comes to us in five gallon buckets. So it's a lot of straw and a lot of sawdust and good times. Okay. 
So you don't have you you're not using any like animal rotations or you, you, you cover crop at all? Yeah, when I can. You know, the cover cropping has been a hard one for me to nail with our short seasons. What I find works best is pretty much to split a, a space into two and do rotations that way. You know, do a cover crop through the season and then rotate to the and then seasonally rotate back and forth. It's hard for me because my shoulder seasons are so short and severe that I I don't really have time to pull a crop generally and get something set. So that's a tough one. That's something yeah. that I'm still still trying to figure out, you know. But the best thing I found is just to have enough space that I can flip flop the production site. That works yeah, so really well. Really so you can't well too. do like an early rye and cut it and turn it and have it break down like that's not something you can really do. No, our season pretty much is like 90 days and, you know, it starts in June and you want to be able to come on as fast and as hard as you can and get everything you can out of the 90 days. And then hopefully we'll coast into a hundred, 120 days at the end. It just depends on how the finish works, but generally the season's over by the twenties of September. And then we can always get the unseasonable, the the late freezer frost. And last last year we had one, first week of June, and it shut shut things down pretty good. Um, as far as season extension, uh, I like season extension, but um, we get such hard spring winds up here, just scouring winds, just um, we call them the cleansing winds. So I I generally try not to work with too much fabric and row cover in the spring. Um, if I do work with it, it'll be like pretty late for setting out, you know, peppers or tomatoes or something. But um, the time for me to really work with season extension is in the fall when we have a lot less wind. You know, in the fall, we're just dealing with low, low night temperatures and maybe some uh, rain or snow events. And it's a lot easier to deal with the covers and all that stuff in the fall. You know, in the spring, it just becomes too much of a headache for me, especially on any type of scale. I just, I don't chase that anymore. <laughs> so you have, do you have a greenhouse, though, that you use that start, like, you know, your peppers and tomatoes and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I have a few small greenhouses that I use for that. Um, and I, I really like the the ideas that people are starting to develop and chase with the geothermal exchange from day to night from the two peak cycles um that that's uh that seems like a really useful technology to, to help balance the extremes in a greenhouse from day to night and i have a small greenhouse that has mass benches and i've been working with that dynamic a little bit and uh i wouldn't say i have it dialed in but i can definitely see the the utility and the potential of it of the method of geothermal exchange Yeah, that's pretty cool. So um, I was wondering if you wanted to kind of give a brief overview of the kind of crops that you're growing generally for seed. Um, pretty much the things that uh, grow well for me at altitude and that we want to eat. Um, that's that's kind of where our focus is. Um, you know, the, the, the High Ground Garden Seed Company, I started it out of a a desire to have a platform to share with the my community and the 
the larger community in the world just with my passion for seeds and breeding and stuff and uh it's uh it's kind of taken on a life of its own it's um it's it, it it's uh it's it's a it's it's consuming me it's like i could spend the rest of my life doing it and i don't feel like i could do a 16th of what could be done there's just so much um it's truly a growth industry it's uh you're you're moving forward completely so crops that i'm working on um you know it, it's a lot of uh roots and storage crops that are easy for us to store for eating out of season you know generally up here at high altitude um what you put in your root cellar is what you survive on you know unless you've figured out how to grow year-round um which is a whole nother interesting uh way of doing it but traditionally the settlers up here would get 160 acres and it's so barren and sparse up here the cow per acre is up up here is like one cow for 40 acres so it's it's a little different than back east but one family would get 160 acres and they wouldn't really be able to make it through the winters it was just too rough they couldn't store enough food but if four families with 160 acres came together and split up their production and storage needs then they could make it so traditionally a lot of storage crops you know root cellared stuff obviously potatoes i think we're we're pretty high in pr potato production in the nation up here in the valley uh, the potatoes by the way are one thing i don't grow because there's so many people doing it so well up here and i can get uh organic potatoes yeah it's it's so easy i mean i can go out and pick up potatoes off the road if i wanted to you know it's, it's like that <laughs> that's actually they what i'm I'm working on potatoes from seed this year. So, yeah, I saw that. That looked pretty interesting. That's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, there's some people doing that kind of work up here too for keeping the seed stock clean. Yeah, I'm trying to do some adaption and stuff. Um, but I saw you have carrots. So, how are you doing like selection and storage for those? Since obviously, like, you don't have a huge, like, real long growing season. So, you're growing just, you know, pretty small carrots and then storing them and selecting from those and planting them back out the next season or how, how are you doing that? Yeah, pretty much just storing them and <clears throat> keeping them in a, like a vegetable crisper or a refrigerator and, uh, and then doing selections. You know, I've done selections in different, obviously there's the physical appearance. That's easy. You know, if you don't want forked roots or one, one thing that we uh, choose for consistently is blunt tips like we don't like pointy tips because they break off in storage yep. and a blunt tip it works really well. Um, another thing that we've done too is certain carrots uh, present different nutritional values depending on the um, appearance of their inner body. Like when you slice it open, you, sometimes you can tell what their nutritional profiles are by what the interior of the carrot looks like. So that's another way that we do uh, selections. I was specifically instructed with the dragon carrot to select for yellow cores because the, they were lab testing at a higher nutritional value. So <clears throat> we've been okay. doing that with 
with the the dragons. That's a that's a carrot we really love. It's a great storage carrot. It's really versatile. Um, another thing too is at at the high altitude environment that we're at, like. Most of my gardens are at like 7,500 feet. My highest garden this year is at 8,700 feet. But um, there's so much access to um, UV up here and different levels and forms of UV that um, the, the terminology they use for the root crops because it concentrates so much of that excess solar energy is nutraceuticals. Um, Gerber produces their organic baby food carrots up here for that reason. And there's other big outfits that do food production up here specifically for that reason, because the nutritional values are off the chart up here, especially, it seems especially prevalent for root crops too. Yeah. Have you tried like done any bricks readings on like your carrots or any of your fruiting crops? No, I haven't. I have a bricks meter, but I haven't played with it too much. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, yeah, so I was going to ask you too. So, how does your harvesting process work for your seed? Are you you're harvesting pretty much at the end of like right at the end of the season, like September yeah. before frost? Yeah, I try to get I try to get everything dried down on the plant in before there's any moisture. You know or frost or any of that that's that's quite a dance sometimes and a lot of times i lose crops to that you know that's just the the way it goes sometimes it de really depends on the finish for the season you know yeah so are you doing a lot of field drying or are you just trying to harvest stuff out and then you gotta and then you dry it no i don't do too much field drying no i, I pretty much bring everything in everything's done by hand i have a, a set of hand screens I have box fans and uh, I just get busy and just break everything down, do a lot of, you know, winnowing a lot of the grains, you know, running them, running them, just walking over them in a tarp, that kind of stuff. Just figuring it out. I don't use any grain cleaners on small oh, scale. So you, you don't even have like a, va like a vacuum separator or anything. You're just doing all, all by hand. Oh, I, I do use like a, a bird seed cleaner that I made out of a shop back with just like a, a Y and a funnel, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. But generally just a lot of, you know, ingenuity, incline plane, you know, vibrating toothbrush, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just figuring it out, just getting it clean so I can store it. You know, I'm kind of to the point where I, I'm ready to, um, make a new uh, storage space. I've got a, a space that I'm ready to retro. I'm just trying to find the time and energy to get to it, but I'm ready to make a cold room specifically for the seed. You know, we had a, a run this year on our seed that was pretty definitive, and it really showed me all the weak spots in my organization, my inventory tracking my order fulfillment like i just got to really see it all firsthand you know and it's um i believe in the the business i believe in the company and what i'm doing 100 percent. but for my for high ground gardens to scale i'm not ready for that i got shown that this spring like, i could barely keep up i got swamped it was beautiful but uh it showed me my weak spots <laughs> yeah, it really showed me my weak spots. So 
I'd like to set up a space that I could have the cold room uh, integrated with the office and be able to bring in more help and just be able to open it up a little more. Right now I do everything out of the back bedroom of my family's home. So it's, it's been a little bit of a balance with the family life and stuff. It's hard to have helpers come around, and, you know, so, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to taking that next step and having a dedicated space where I can uh, have projects just, you know, I can open up projects and walk away from them if I need to and not always be scrambling to like pull things out and put them away and not have the storage space I need. Yeah. So are you working on any of your own breeding projects or are you doing mostly like preservation and selection of uh, established varieties? Yeah, I mainly, what I've been working on mainly has been uh, just finding stuff that really works for high altitude. And that, that, that's a pretty tall order itself because it, it forces me to do a lot of data collection and stuff with trials, which takes a lot of time. It's hard. It, that's a hard one on me because if I don't take the time to do the trials, I end up making, I can make poor decisions without the trials data. And I really don't have the time or space to uh, not have a producing seed crop. So I have to, I've learned that over the years. I have to be really careful with what I put my energy into because <clears throat> I need to, I need the crop to produce seed as well as everything else, food. So I'm sorry, I lost the question on that one. Oh, are you, have you done any, like of your own breeding of varieties? Oh like, yeah. Doing any crosses? Yeah. So. So mainly identifying things that do well at high altitude and then doing adapt, allowing them to acclimate and then preserving them. And I've been working on seed banking for quite a, a while and I've, I've got a pretty good seed bank of all these stock varieties built up. And my, my thinking on it is like bringing something in, getting it adapted, one to two seasons adapted in an open pollinated style. And then, throwing it in the seed bank and then going to the next thing. And I've, I've been working like that for quite a while. And I'm to the point now where I want to take the season or two adapted varieties and then start working with them in different ways as far as doing crosses and stuff. Nice. Yeah. Uh, right now I, I actually planted your, your Desi squash, the arugula, uh, scarlet gold radishes, all that stuff is coming up right now. And then I did uh, the mini bells probably like, I want to say like three weeks ago. Wow. Mini bell peppers so much. They're starting to come up. So I'll try those here and see how they do. I'll let you know. They're looking cool. So far, so far it's been really good. I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about the radishes and the arugula because it's there. I have such a flea beetle problem here that like usually oh. completely destroyed within like uh -huh. weeks of germination and those have actually like they're they're holding their own right now so we do pretty good getting around those flea beetles sometimes we can get them but most of the times we don't have to deal with them too much oh, okay yeah because I, I actually the the orange she sent me is like a like a mix so one of the things i'm going to try with that is uh to do like a, a like a lettuce mix or a salad mix based on orange lettuce and some other things no uh -huh. brassicas. That way I don't have to deal with the flea beetles. Uh -huh. I'm not sure what you have to deal with for pests. 
oh, we're pretty lucky with minus 40 degree winters. Yeah. Like we get like a complete e-race, you know, it's pretty nice. That's one thing I like about the extreme environment is I, I don't really have to deal with too much pest. That's yeah. So as long as we keep things pretty clean, you know, don't leave a lot of trash around. Yeah, I mean, we had we had a super mild winter. I think, you know, we didn't get below 20s for any stretch of time and not a lot. I think it snowed like three or four times. So, I mean, uh, everything's going full force. So, past Yeah, our, our winter was mild too. I think our low was around like minus 25. So, I'm, I'm expecting to see pressures. We've, we've been seeing this new form of... Uh, aphid up here that i've never seen before and they're calling it the hemp aphid and it's like super white and really meat meaty and i've never seen it before last year but it seems super prevalent now like just showed up yeah i've, I've been hearing a lot of growers on the west coast talking about that it's it'll be a greenhouse pest probably here in the next couple of years i think mm -hmm. but yeah did you want to talk about cannabis at all and kind of what you're doing with that oh i'm not sure what i'm doing <laughs> i'm just uh I, i'm uh preserving a lot of strain work from the 90s and just you know I've, I've taken a couple stabs at being in the legal industry and it hasn't worked out for me and i'm not quite sure where i'm at with that like i feel like i have something to contribute but um i'm also interested in just having a nice life and stuff so you know, I kind of the way I feel about the whole cannabis thing right now is just waiting until it just federally legalizes completely and is treated like any other crop. Because I'm not really, um, I'm really enthused with my work with cannabis. It's been a part of my life for most, for most all of my life. But uh, I don't know. It's just... Uh, I'm a salty old bastard, I guess, when it comes to that. All right. Yeah. No, I won't do it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, I want to start offering some stuff. And, you know, you actually turned me on to that, uh, to a lot of that souvenir and collectible seed stuff. I was checking that out. That's pretty neat. And I've been, uh, um, I've been, picking up some seed here and there and, and really uh, digging the experience and just how it works and stuff. And it just, it seems so natural, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Not like it did, you know, in the nineties or two thousands to buy seed. That, that was a whole different ball game. It's so casual now, but it's also, I also just feel like that the, the, uh, the flood the floodgates have just thrown open and there's just like, you know, it doesn't matter like what you know or what you do anymore. It's just like how fast you can look up information or something, you know? So I don't know. I'm just, uh, I guess I'll be to be continued on that saga. All right. Yeah. Well, I really liked, uh, the, the lineage of what you sent me, I mean, it's pretty, it's a lot of, you know, old school kind of genetics, which is more what I, I like personally. Did you open that up? What? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't germinated anything yet. Just because oh, okay. I just put the time and space and I got a bunch of stuff that's going on right now that I need to figure out. But 
but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to it. Especially like, it, so you, are you doing most of that outside? Um, you know, I've really, I've always really stood strongly on the outdoor, you know, with the acclimated cannabis and everything. And, uh, but I've also, uh, you know, being into breeding, you know, it's like, if I'm, if I pay it the attention and pay attention to everything, I can like, it can get pretty exponential pretty quick, you know, if I'm managing everything well. And, uh, so what I like to do is I like to do sifts indoors through the winter and, and do a lot of that work that takes like a little bit more, uh, time and attention and, uh, you know, observations and all that. And then once I get something close to where I'm feeling where I want it, then I'll do the outdoor acclimation and run it through a season or two before I bank it. That's kind of been my MO for quite a while, like maybe 15 years I've been doing that and just stacking back a bank and um, just figuring that I would start working out of it at some point. And I, I just haven't, I'm just now to the point where I'm ready to start switching gears and stop doing all the preservation work and start actually trying to work out of the bank which is going to start with a huge project of uh, organization, uh, data collection and retrieval system. Like I'm, I'm a mess. <laughs> I got to like figure out how to like look at everything without having to physically touch it, that kind of stuff. Like I'm working on all that, but you know, one thing I can say about cannabis is I'm pretty old school that way. And you know, I'm, I'm pretty traditionalist as in a, so far as like, I've like always resisted feminized seeds and the feminization process and all that. And it all seems pretty obvious for, to me too, why a person would do that. Because with the feminized seeds, I know a lot of people are starting to work with that, um, with those types of plants and breeding with them and stuff. But um. I'm still just curious, like if, if I work, if I actually work through open pollinated lines with uh, feminized genetics, like are people going to like me in 50 years? You know, that's what I'm, that's where I'm at. Like, I think the feminized seeds, I've, I've come a long ways with it because I think they're awesome now because what I can do with uh, feminized seeds for preservation work with clone onlys is pretty pretty spectacular because I got some clone on clone onlys that I've sifted out of my work. And, uh, you know, I've been wanting to get to the step of, uh, tissue culture propagation to kind of hold things in suspended animation, but, it, and I've got a lot of those elements in place, but I just haven't had made the time to push that project through. And kind of what I've been falling back on is instead of trying to get everything into tissue culture, just running S1s of my clone only. So the other thing that I've changed my mind about with FEMS is that, um, you know, I would rather get hand out like S1s of my clone onlys that I've sifted out of my work rather than hand out regular seed of, of my work at this point, especially till I figure out what I'm doing with my work and if I'm going to like, bring it to market in, in any way yeah I, I feel like the market's kind of going two ways on that I, I feel like the fems are good for like the home gardener and even for like the high production facility but then you have this like middle ground where i think regular seeds are going to shine because you, need, you want people who are going to do pheno hunts 
you know, you have people who want to do breeding work. They want to kind of get their own, you know, their own colonies and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting how that all plays out, especially with the home gardener thing, because that's that's going to change like, so much in the next five, ten years. You know, because you have all these people who are like, yeah, I'll, I'll grow, you know, three or four plants in my backyard or in my garage or in my basement or whatever. And, you know, you didn't have that, you know, even a few years ago, because everyone was so like, oh, well, I don't know if it's, you know, if I should be doing this or not. <laughs> not yeah, it's also crazy. You know, ultimately, like, you know, the the generation right now that's ex- enjoying all these experiments and freedom and uh, just the openness of the whole cannabis scene and culture, like, we are standing on a lot of fallen soldiers' shoulders, man. Like, yeah, there's man. people yeah. there's people that gave up all their civil liberties and gave up their families and everything for what we are enjoying freely now. And I, I really want people, I want the younger generations to understand that because you know, anybody can be in the game now, but before it wasn't that way. You had to live to a code and uh, if you didn't do it right. You lost it all. So pretty interesting times that we're in now. I never saw it coming. I never really, I've always been so busy keeping my head down that I never really paid attention to any of it. The hemp thing took me by total surprise. I mean, I was blown away by it. Yeah, so do you, do you do any CBD strains, or are you just working mainly with um, just, you know, regular THC strains? I've been, I've been working with CBD for about 18 months now. You know, um, I kick myself because over the years, like, there's been so many strains that, like, I just threw out without even thinking twice because they, they didn't get me high. They grew great. They were perfect. They were CBD strains. And we didn't know back then, man. Like, I, yeah, there's still strains I think of that I'm just like, man, I let go of that because I didn't know. I had no idea, man. Yeah, no. Yeah, there was no testing, no, no nothing. No. no, the testing was giving it to a group of trusted friends and like getting feedback. That's what the testing was. There was no analytics. Like, no. No, I just started using analytics in like the last five or six years. So that's a whole nother thing. I think the analytics are cool. And I think that they've done a lot for the industry in certain ways and for the plant and the development of plant populations, cannabis populations, cannabis and hemp specifically, and maybe even more so hemp. I don't know. It seems like the hemp thing really blew up with the analytics, but there's there's also a whole nother side to it that the analytics don't serve at all and that's a lot of the old school ways you know of finding what we're looking for and i think that if in a program that someone could balance between those two opposites there could probably probably be a lot of work done very quickly that could represent some of the old school breeding ideology for me it's like i'm always chasing the flavors i remember from the 90s it's like that's what pretty much guides my selections and that's what i'm always striving for is that thing i can't find anymore it's a thing in the back of my mind that i'm like oh that's why i smoke like yeah yeah that's why the hunt for the roadkill skunk and all that's getting popular again because you know nobody nobody has it so everyone wants it you know that kind of thing it's not all that right yeah so um 
Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I got some quick questions for you. That I thought that thought would be interesting. So which, what is your favorite crop to grow? Oh, man. You come up with some hard questions, man. <laughs> Most favorite crop of – oh, man. That's hard. That's – that's a uh, that's so general, huh? Um, I like all plants. Um, how about now? I'm well, just like I'm. I'm like, is it a food crop or is it cannabis? Yeah. Like, well, how, how about this? How about this? What's your favorite food vegetable crop? And then what's your favorite okay. crop to grow? Uh, okay. Thank you. Um, I really like the ancient grains, the mother plant corn. Man, I can't like corn that's adapted to altitude. Is uh is very thrilling to me. You know, corn for me represents the, uh, the original currency, you know, traditional currency, traditional technology. Um, it's hard for me to say what's my favorite, but corn is pretty damn satisfying as a, a crop and watching it grow. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say corn for veg. Nice. Yeah. If I had the space, I do. Uh, I got so much corn, that people have sent me in so much that I've grown in the past that I can't work to because I don't have space. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's I hear I hear that a lot about the corn. The it's too space hungry corn. Sometimes people say that about beans too. I think beans would be a runner up for me in that category, especially with a lot of the uh, the traditional cultures and their work on beans and you know, amazing. You know, a, a lot of what's happened out here in the southwest with beans, amazing. You know, yeah, when you, that's, hear, when you hear about someone finding a clay pot sealed with pitch in a cave and, you know, or whatever, 500 or 1,000, and they get germination out of them, it's just, I mean. Yeah, beans are another. That's that's one of my signatures, so that'll always be. Um, so how about cannabis? What's one of your favorite, what's your favorite variety? To grow? My favorite variety. Oh... That's another tough question. Um, well, I've currently got about 15 things in my stable that I'm preserving in live form. Um, let's see, out of that, what would be my favorite? Uh, I think right now, I'm going to say, I'm going to preface this answer, that this, this answer can change and often does frequently. <laughs> but for right now i'm gonna say deep purple by tga seeds i got a cut from uh the double lots that is just uh amazing and it just um it's a mind blower on many levels tastes great yields superbly has mass bag appeal purples up nicely big chunky easy to take care of easy to clone I'd say right now, deep purple for me. All right. And then, uh, so what's, what's your favorite vegetable crop to eat? To eat. Um, man, that is tough, tough. Well, I've been a vegan for 18 years, so I really like vegetables, but, um, it's, I'm going to say either it's probably beans. Beans, squash, 
and maybe quinoa grains. Maybe I could say it in that order. Yeah, beans, squash, quinoa. All right. And so, uh, what's what's your favorite tool or piece of equipment on the farm? Oh, that's easy. Rides on my hip all the time, man. My steel fingers, my steel fingers. Yeah, I was going to say. Gerber multi-tool. Yeah. (laughs) I could do so much with that. Like, you know, I'm just going to say that. I don't have a bunch of big equipment. I'm small scale. You know, this year I, I might be rocking like maybe a third of an acre total in like five sites. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm about the same scale you are. I'm probably like uh-huh. half an acre. Uh-huh. So, um, so last last question. Um, what's one word of wisdom or advice you have for, any, for all the farmers out there? Less is more. Agreed. That's it, man. Simple. Keep it simple. Less is more. Everybody's trying to nuke everything. Slow down and pay attention to what the plants are telling us. They're smarter than us. Yeah, they got more time. That's that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was simple. That was a good question. Yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, uh, hit me with all your plugs where people can find you, contact you if they want to buy some seeds or whatever. Highgroundgardens.com. That's our web store. That's where we keep all of our current seed offerings. That's uh, got a real-time inventory, which has been bouncing up and down this spring. You can check us out on Instagram at High Ground Gardens. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, a lifestyle passion for me, man. I just love seeds. I love good food. I love sharing. I like being generous. And uh, it's always easy to do when you have nice gardens. Yeah. All right. I'm going to stop recording, but uh, hold on for a second. Okay. Well, that's it for the first episode. I'd like to thank Brian for coming on. I'd also like to thank my buddy Bezmir for making this beat. You can find him on Instagram at Bez to the Mir. That's B-E-S number two, T-H-E-M-I-R. You can also find me, Focus, on Instagram at Focus Seeds. And if you'd like to purchase some of my seeds, you can check out my website, focusseeds.com. Focus is spelled P-H-O-C-A-S. Happy growing. Peace.